Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience for taking time to be with us today. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, today I'm broadcasting from uh, Ottumwa, Iowa, where I'm working with this community on uh, developing its broadband uh, strategy plan. And the, lar- the uh, primary goal here is to use uh, the broadband network as an economic development tool. And those of you who are regular listeners know that I, I touch on this topic of, of economic development quite often. And it's easy to say that you know our mission is to improve the the economic uh, development in our area and so forth, and that's why we're doing you know the broadband project. But how do you know when you've been successful? How how do you know whether broadband has helped a little or it's helped a lot toward getting to the the specific goal? And uh, you know how do you estimate you know what kinds of economic outcomes you can realistically expect with broadband, it's definitely not an exact science, and it's one that needs continual uh, refining and, uh, you know, fine-tuning to to get it right. Uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa, has uh, been at this broadband uh, effort since 1996 when they developed, the the public utility there developed an Internet uh, network and have been offering uh, great services uh, to their community. And so they're going to give us uh, some some perspective on this issue of economic development and its impact on broadband. Uh, joining us in the show is uh, Betty Zeman, who is the marketing manager for um, Cedar Falls Utility, and Rob Houlihan, who is the network manager for the utility, in this particular project, and he will be joining us actually a little bit later in the show. Betty, welcome, welcome to Gigabit Nation. Thank you. So let's jump into it here. You, your community has had um, a broadband network for definitely much longer than most folks in the U.S. have been thinking about it, let alone even talking about uh, broadband. What was it that got the, the community moving down this path uh, way back in the day? It was way back in the day. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's actually hard to get your mind back to a place where the Internet was not part of daily life. And, and that time when it, it just didn't touch most people at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the early 90s, um, here in Cedar Falls, we, we have a state university, University of Northern Iowa, and a number of people from the university and some other community leaders um, had an early uh, understanding of the fact that inter- access to the Internet was going to become terribly important in terms of quality of life and economic climate um, in communities. Mm-hmm. And they came to that understanding, uh, again, pretty early, uh, in the early 90s. And so... When it became um, possible in Iowa for a municipality to be a broadband provider, um, those people in Cedar Falls uh, formed a steering committee and promoted the idea that our community ought to have a broadband network, and this was in 93-94. The first step, of course, was these people went to the 
to the incumbents. The incumbent um, local exchange company, which at that time was Northwestern Bell, which later became Quest, and to the incumbent cable company, which at that time was TCI. And they talked to those companies about their um, upgrade plans for their networks in our community, and they found that those providers were not willing to do upgrades, at least not anytime soon, and mm-hmm. had no plans to offer high-speed Internet access anytime soon. So um, having been rather disappointed with that outcome <laughs> from, from those discussions, mm-hmm. that is what caused this uh, group of people to say, you know what, we should do this ourselves. We think we can. Uh, in Iowa, in order to form a municipal broadband service, you have to start with a referendum. Mm-hmm. And that referendum requires a supermajority. So this group of citizens, they were called the Wired for the Future Committee, mm-hmm. uh, organized a referendum effort. And that referendum took place in October of 94. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, and obviously it was successful. Was Do you know or does you know do people remember how fierce was the opposition to this network back then? You know, I lived in Cedar Falls then, although I did not work at CFU. Um, I remember hearing about it, and I remember there were strong opinions on both sides. Uh, I have looked back to the um, many of the ads and the editorials and um, the sort of competing um, public communication uh, on both sides of the referendum. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was intense. Um, I'm sure it's no surprise to anyone that the incumbents were, of course, funding a lot of advertising to try to get people to vote no. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a a great deal of money to work with in that effort, whereas the Wired for the Future Committee had almost no money. Uh, And that's pretty typical of these kinds of referendums. Um, and, And... at that time, of course, there really were not anywhere near as many competitive choices as there are today mm-hmm. uh, for for services. So the incumbents were, uh, again, not willing to upgrade their networks, but did not want to have a new a new competitor in the marketplace and mm-hmm. worked pretty hard to defeat mm-hmm. the referendum, which passed at uh, about 71%. Mm-hmm. So so basically we could say, well, with 70%, it's clear that a majority of folks, even if they weren't technologically savvy and they didn't have any, you know, like there weren't the, the success stories like Google and Kansas City or Chattanooga and so forth, but they nevertheless felt or saw that there was a significant um, value, so they ignored the ads and voted for the referendum. Um, they certainly did vote for it. Uh, it and I think there really are two reasons. One reason is um, there certainly was a segment of the population that understood the need for this from an economic development standpoint and a business climate standpoint. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was also true that uh, Joe Consumer, who, who really wasn't interested so much in those factors, uh, was very dissatisfied with the one and only cable TV provider in town. And so it was planned that this network would, um, of course, offer high-speed Internet connectivity, and it would also offer a competitive choice, which at that time did not exist, Mm -hmm. for cable cable TV service. Mm -hmm. You had both a consumer and a business um, 
and economic development push for this, people had more than one reason to be for it. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about it for a second. Let's talk about the economic um, drivers, the economic development drivers, because one thing that is similar, I would say, in 2012, uh, well, 13, 2013, as that was true back then, is there's not a lot of data. There's not a lot of, like, conclusive, you know, you can't ignore this any way, you know, kind of data that says there will be these specific economic outcomes if you put the network in place. Now, I know that there are cities like Chattanooga are busy developing that information, right? They're, they're documenting what they're doing and they're documenting what kinds of impacts they're having. But, you know, there isn't a lot of it today and there's probably next to none of that kind of information in in, uh, in 94. What was the economic uh, need? Like, how would you define that? Um, and then what was the thing that, I don't know, supported the feeling that this was an economic play that was vital to the community? That's a good question. And, of course, it's it's certainly true that it's difficult to document and to isolate economic benefits of community broadband. And I say that because business decisions, whether it's a decision to remain in a community where your business has been for years, a decision to expand in that community, a decision to move elsewhere, uh, or a decision to locate in a community that you haven't been in before, those kinds of decisions really are always multi-factor decisions. Mm-hmm. So what we've found here is it's pretty rare that you can isolate and say the one and only reason that a business came here or expanded here is because of the broadband network. However, it's a contributing factor in many of those relocation and expansion decisions. And moreover, um, not having high-quality, reasonably priced, um, promptly delivered business class Internet service will certainly take you off the list of possible locations for almost any business today. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a disqualifying factor if you don't have it. Right. So it's almost it's almost like arguing a negative. It's, you know, uh, we're not sure all the things that you can achieve from an economic development standpoint, but you clearly will not be the one drawing in businesses that will help your economic development if you don't have this technology? Uh, you know, when um, when businesses are looking to um, expand in new locations, it's on the must-have list. I, I think we all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there, there just are not very many businesses today who don't have high-capacity, affordable broadband service on their must-have list. Mm-hmm. Now, in um, I know people always like to have charts and ranking orders and all the rest of it, but if you were to have, say, a, a top five, you know, must-haves, would broadband be in the in the in that top five? And about where do you think it would fall? Um, you know, that is a question that I think is very hard to generalize an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can give you some examples um, of businesses in Cedar Falls. One of the biggest employers here that um, is a newer business in town is uh, Target. Target built a distribution center here. 
Mm-hmm. And then just a few years later, they built a cold foods storage and distribution center here in Cedar Falls. And I can tell you that in their case, the number one infrastructure requirement was roads. Was roads, okay. Yeah. Uh, Now, there are businesses who operate here who are in the disaster recovery and data warehousing business. And, of course, for them, the number number one requirement is they want to be far away from a, a major metropolitan area, and they want to have top-tier broadband connectivity. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm just not able to generalize, Craig. It's it's so dependent upon the particulars of, of a business. Mm-hmm. But there's there's no business that, that doesn't have it on the list of what you've got to have. I, mm-hmm. Almost no business today mm-hmm. would consider it to be possible to locate in a place without, again, high-quality, affordable broadband service. Mm-hmm. Now, do uh, we, we've got a question from uh, one of the audience members? Uh, do the, did the research universities have a influence either in you know when evaluating the need, the economic development need? You know, the people look and say, well, we have these research universities and they need it, um, and or did the research universities influence? You know, you've recently increased all of your speeds. You're rehabbing the, uh, not rehabbing, but you're re- refurbishing much of the network. Do the research industries ha- in this uh, take two? Do the research universities have an influence in this need to increase the speed? Um, certainly, um, certainly they are a client of our network. Our local mm-hmm. state university here in town is a client of our network. Um, and in order to serve them the way we are today, um, we had to upgrade the network from what we built in 1995. So in that sense, yes, I think it's fair to say that. Certainly back in the day when we were um, deciding to build the network, the needs of the university were a big part of the push to get it done. Mm-hmm. So that's a uh, now. How many do you do you have in your general area? I'm still learning the uh, geography of of Iowa here. You mean universities? We have a a state university here in Cedar Falls. It's the University of Northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, my understanding, like early on, like around the time of the broadband stimulus, one of the communities whose activities I was following was uh, in in the Cape Cod area. And one of their big drivers was the fact that if they had a certain level of of broadband capacity, there were a number of research projects that were being made available or research grants in the, like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars range where they would be eligible if they had high-speed broadband because those research uh, grants required moving massive amounts of data. So when you look at it in that context, it's not just, you know, a customer. It's not like we're just doing this to bring on a customer who obviously will be a a good paying, you know, subscriber to the network. A $100 million project in in a small town has got to have a huge financial and economic impact on the community. It's interesting you bring up the research grants. Um, We have a client... um it's an, an elder housing client um, 
that was able to get a research grant um, in connection with an out-of-state university, and, and one of the um, criteria for that grant was they had to have very high-capacity Internet service available because of exactly what you're talking about. And, of course, in a community like ours, um, we have good health care resources. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the ability to transmit medical images um, permits people to access specialized medical care in a much more cost-effective way. And, of course, those images are very large. So that's a um, a place where our network has been um, essential to really improving the efficiency of healthcare delivery. Mm-hmm. And, and now, and it's good that you bring up the, the healthcare delivery side. Um, I've been working here uh, uh, in a tumult this week and, and over the past uh, several months, and I continually bring up this uh, point that healthcare, improving the ability to deliver good healthcare and good medical services, is indeed an economic development issue. Even though people may, on the face of it, not look at it and go, "Oh, I, I, that that makes all the sense in the world." You want to talk a little bit about what are the the uh, the economic development aspects of improving your your healthcare delivery. Mm-hmm. If you're in a small town um, in Iowa, um, smaller than our town even, um, I know that what often happens when people get older and they begin to have more healthcare concerns is they, they move out of that small town and they they move to a place where better quality, um, higher uh, specialized care is available. If that town had high-capacity broadband service, maybe those people wouldn't have to move. So retaining your population, making it possible for people to continue to live in the town is certainly mm-hmm. an economic benefit. Um, when families are... Uh, faced with those kinds of issues, they they have to go where the services are. And if you can bring the service to that family where they live, now you have enabled your town to continue to be home to that family. Mm-hmm. Here in Cedar Falls, we have uh, a number of health care um, offices, doctor's offices, clinics, um, specialized care facilities that use our network and use it in uh, a number of offices that are networked. Um, one of the broadband grants in Iowa went to a local healthcare network, and we've actually uh, become a client of theirs for some out-of-network transport of data. Uh-huh. So there's been a lot of synergy from the broadband grants um, in the healthcare area all over Iowa, um, including one of Iowa's largest um Healthcare groups uh-huh. invested in in network resources that and that it it has opened those up um, for use by other customers like us uh-huh. um, for data transport to internet backbone hubs. Right, right, definitely a definitely a factor. Um, one thing that, that that was pointed out or is being pointed out by one of the one of the guests here in the audience, and what I have found to be true in this project here in Atumwa is that um, 
there is also the issue of uh, recruiting and retaining quality doctors and nurses because I think folks, again, don't realize the um, the impact that having broadband, or I should say the lack of broadband, has on people's decisions on where they want to move to after they leave um, college. So if you're a doctor and you just graduated from you know Harvard Medical School or wherever, and you're looking at places to go, you're not going to want to move to a place that you consider to be a backwater. Whether that's true or not that it is, it's more that that, that perception. So if a place doesn't have high-speed um, uh, broadband, that's a quality of life issue, but it's not minor, especially with this generation of young folks leaving uh, medical school and nursing school and, and, and so forth. Right? I, I assume that's a factor in here as well. Well, and and that's where um, quality of life is such an economic development um, tool. Mm-hmm. And, and it, also, it's like, you're talking about doctors and nurses. I will tell you that um, one of my daughters is a software engineer, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't dream of living in a place <laughs> where she couldn't get very high speed internet service. It 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 just would be off the map for her, and I mm-hmm. think she's not at all unusual in her right. 20-something age group. Mm-hmm. And if you flip it around to yet another dimension, uh, besides the quality of life issues, if you are you know, a, a doctor or nurse, you know, you're coming out going into the profession, if a community has used broadband to, in essence, make their medical facilities and the quality of, of medical services being delivered top of the line, that's going to be an attraction. Right, because then they can say, I can go practice, you know, the latest, uh, you know, medical techniques, and I can use the latest technology in medicine because these guys have outfitted their hospitals and clinics, you know, with with gigabit services, and they're able to link and do all kinds of great, wonderful things in, you know, in medical technology. That's a that's a win for me if I'm really interested in going to a place that has a good quality medical facility as an employer, as an employee, excuse me. It has to help with medical recruiting. There's there's just no way it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in Iowa, we have, um, we have challenges recruiting physicians to rural Iowa. There's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. And, you know, the average age of rural Iowa physicians is, is climbing. There's a real need to be able to recruit medical professionals to rural Iowa. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, we've sort of laid the the groundwork for, you know, how um, broadband can possibly help uh, on the economic development uh, area. How do you track the, the economic development success? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to build this network and, you know, we're going to improve healthcare services because we want to, attract more doctors and uh, we want to attract more businesses. Do you measure the success based on, you know, in in year 2011 we got, you know, 15 doctors to come in versus the the year before when only two came in? I mean, what kind of metrics do you set up to measure the effectiveness on the scale of economic development? Craig, honestly, that's not something we spend much time on. We're more Mm -hmm. concerned with providing excellent service in the marketplace Mm-hmm. One of the uh, one of the metrics that I think speaks very well to that, however, is adoption rates. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, and utilization rates of our network. Mm-hmm. So that's a that, and that's definitely a, a net win, and I think that's very yeah, an easy thing to look at and say we can step off from there. I, I think what I would advise, you know, uh, you know, would advise those communities that are looking at this. Um, as Chattanooga is doing and other places are doing now that are, that are fully up and running with gigabit networks, is they are spending a lot of time to create the metrics. And it may very well be that it's you know the economic development agency or the economic development office. It's not necessarily the utility that provides the service does this exercise, but but someone in the I'm community. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure yeah. that's true in 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 our community as well. Mm-hmm. So this is basically what you know. The, the point being is that you want to make sure that as you go down this road and you're you know you're building your network and you're developing your adoption programs, that you want to make sure that somebody out there in your community is 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 tracking, is establishing the metric, the metrics or metrices of you know what's success, so that you can say, hey, we are being highly successful and here's why. Which you know, as the marketing person. You know, I would think that as those numbers become available, that you can then take those numbers and say, look, you know, look at these numbers. This is why you want to, you know, be a subscriber. This is why you want to move to the area. You know, it gives you guys a a marketing tool to use would be is what I guess what I'm trying to say. And, and you know, it might have been good to have one of the city economic development or the regional economic development people on your call. Mm-hmm. You know, our interest here is in making sure that we're meeting the consumer's needs for a great product mm-hmm. at a highly competitive price. Mm-hmm. We're not the economic development agency. Now, when businesses are looking at, um, you know, the kinds of broadband services they need, is it strictly an issue of the speed of the network, or do they also look for some very specific services that are being offered on the network? Um, some businesses that... Um, want a managed service. Uh, others want dark fiber. So there's a wide range of what the business needs are, depending on the size of the business. Do they outsource IT? Do they do they have an internal staff? What are their data transport needs? So we provide a pretty wide range of of services, <coughs> depending on what the business needs. Mm-hmm. Now, what would you say are um, some of the, the the challenges? I know um, you know there were the, the incumbent opposition in the early in the early days, but as as this came on board, now you and you came on board yourself about four what four years or five years into the network's existence. Mm-hmm. What were the um, like what drove the marketing campaign? Was it about, you know, we're the local provider or it's the quality and speed of service or maybe it was both, but what what were kind of like the marketing uh hooks that you used to to keep driving the the adoption effort? Um, you know, I have to say um a, a great deal of success has to do with timing in any enterprise and mm-hmm. Because we started offering high-speed Internet service for homes and businesses in 1996. Right. It it turned out that our timing was um, very positive. Um, About the time that businesses began to see that 
you know what, it would be good for us to have a high-speed Internet connection. Mm-hmm. We had it available. Mm-hmm. We had it there when they needed it. We built to our industrial and business areas. Um, even when those were vacant lots, so when someone wanted to construct a business, um, expand a business, our services were there and easy to hook up to. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, a big part of our success. And during the during the late 90s and the, the first decade of this century, um, we've seen really remarkable expansion in our industrial park. Mm-hmm. Um, very great growth in our in our tax base, um, and a great deal of business and employment expansion. Uh, about seven thousand jobs have been added in the Cedar Falls Industrial Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we built our network, there were very few businesses out there to use it. Um, wow! Virtually all of them use it today. Mm-hmm. So. Um, timing was a very important part because, again, when when businesses began to understand that this is something we need to do in order to be competitive in our industries, we had it available and, and made it easy to hook up. So that was a big part of the success. Um, in terms of what we talked to the community about, about why they ought to get our service, you know, when you've done a referendum campaign and 70% of the people have voted for it, um, the sign-up campaign is really a continuation of that. Um, and if you look at our subscriber growth during that first five-year period, mm-hmm. it really was limited only by the physical ability of how fast we could hook people up. Um, and wow. So, yeah, now today you, you have we have... advantage there for sure. Pardon? I said you had an advantage there for sure, uh, you know, given the fact that there was so much pent-up demand, you know, you didn't have to necessarily spend, you know, truckloads of effort. It seemed like it was fairly easy to get the low-hanging fruit, and there was plenty of low-hanging fruit. Well, uh, again, people were just beginning, first businesses and then individuals were just beginning to understand, wow, this Internet thing is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like I said at the beginning of the call, it's almost hard to remember that there was a time where we were not all using the Internet daily and had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. But as people, as the demand for Internet service began to emerge, we were there to deliver the service. And, mm-hmm. and that goes right back to the fact that there were some very forward-thinking people in the early 90s who understood that this is going to be as important to our community as good roads as um, good water and electric and natural gas and all the other infrastructure services that we provide as a community-owned utility, that broadband was actually going to be in that category, Mm -hmm. going to be as important to a business's success and competitiveness as those other things that we consider to be must-have services. Mm -hmm. And and that turned out to be true. Um, Today, there are very few businesses in our community that don't use our network, um, for Internet service, um, we have extremely high market <coughs> penetration and market share, and, and our system utilization is vastly greater than the people who did the initial business plan many years ago ever dreamed that it would be. 
No, I, I know that you have uh, some other commitments, and uh, you'd only promised a, a half hour, and we're going to bring in uh, Rob. There are there are a couple of questions, but you know, you tell me if you need to go, then I'll I'll go ahead and call Rob and bring him in, and we'll you know pick it up from there. Uh, or if if you have a couple of minutes, like I said, there are a couple, there are uh, one or two questions that have popped up that you might want to. Yes, consider. that's fine. You tell let's me. go ahead. Sure, right. let's go ahead. All right. So. Um, has how has the network affected the farming business? Hmm. Well, until quite recently, um, we did not provide services outside the city limits. Uh-huh. Um, of course, many businesses that farmers use and patronize are are here in town. Um, but I can't say that until recently we have served farmers directly. However, mm-hmm. in the past few months, we've been extending our network to about 90 miles of rural service territory. And so for the first time, uh, a number of farmers and rural residents actually have access now to the same level of high-speed Internet service that we offer within the city limits. Um, as you might guess, um, we can't get there fast enough <laughs> because people who live outside of town have been calling us for a long time, urging us to expand our network. Mm-hmm. So we're pleased now to be able to begin uh, to provide service to farmers because, of course, farmers today are um, in as as much in need of high-speed data as any other business person. Mm-hmm. Everything from GPS um, precision farming. Um, to many other applications, um, everything they do to market their crops and livestock, manage their farms, you know, there's a huge need there. So we're, we are really pleased to now be to be meeting that need. We're almost complete now with our rural project. Mm-hmm. Let, let me take this second to call to, to call Robin, and we will uh, have him Thanks, join Greg. us. Yes. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You, you have a great day. We'll talk again soon. All right. Take care. Hi, this is Rob. Rob, good morning. This is Craig Fettles coming back here, bringing you into our show. Welcome to Gigabit Nation. Thank you very much. So now you're the uh, the network manager for the project, and uh, just to give us a running start, what's What's your role there? And then we do have some some tech questions we want to roll out here and talk about, you know, some of the more technical side after we've had our, you know, we've been discussing the the economic development uh, related issues. Sure. So uh, for the communications utility at uh, Cedar Falls Utilities, uh, we actually have uh, two managers. Uh, myself, I'm on the the data side, and then we've got another manager that manages the uh, outside plant and the cable TV side. Mm-hmm. So so I'm on the on the technical side on the on the data network. Um, the fiber gets built and uh me and my team we uh we light up the fiber and uh get the connectivity through the access network and then uh across our transport network uh off to the internet. Mhm. Okay. Um, one one question that comes to mind right away, uh, you know, I, like I, well, you weren't here. I, I'm in a, in the tumble at the moment, so I'm kind of like down the road a, a ways from from you. Uh, we the, the community is 
is um, grappling with, you know, how do they move forward bringing uh, better broadband to this community? We've got a number of options and so forth. Now, one of the things um, <clears throat> that uh, was given out to the community as a business option was that a public utility could, you know, start and run a network, uh, you know, for the community. And the thinking behind that, at least in other communities I've talked to, was that your business as a utility doesn't really change that much if you add on Internet services. So it's not a major overhaul internally of how you operate and the number of people you have and so forth and so on. So it's easy for a utility to, um, in essence, expand into the broadband business. Number one, is that true? And number two, how did... I don't know, maybe from what you understand from your colleagues and other utilities and so forth, how is life with, you know, Internet responsibilities versus without responsibilities for that? Uh, I think there are some some synergies uh, build, building. Uh, let me back up. As far as, far as the utility is concerned, it, it makes sense that if you – uh, rely on a, a municipal utility to deliver uh, electric service. Uh, that's that's uh, that would be considered a critical infrastructure, mm -hmm. and uh, this this is no different than that. Mm -hmm. um, one one of the differences is that we operate in a uh, competitive environment, so that does require a bit of a, a, a shift in uh, in thinking and, and approaching things. Mm -hmm. Now. Um if you were to uh, to sort of isolate out the, uh, the the responsibilities for the internet, and then further divide it between, you know, you offer voice and data services, and you offer TV services, right? Uh, just uh, TV and data. We, okay, we don't do TV voice. And data. Um, you know, actually, I'm going to change directions immediately here and ask the question: um, How? Which one of those two is is easier or you know, conversely, more difficult to uh, keep on top of the internet services side or the TV services side. <laughs> that's that's a good question. Uh, the the TV side um, is is changing very rapidly. It seems um, it, it seems to be a more uh, dynamic environment, mm -hmm. um, and, and and so keeping on top. Once you've built the network. Um, Certainly, there's upgrades that need to happen, but since we're delivering video and data services on the same network, um, once that's built, the, the data side uh, can become a bit easier just because uh, on the video side, uh, there's uh, contracts to get uh, content and, uh, and then also to deliver service inside the home. Uh, with set-top boxes and and uh, that sort of thing, so mm -hmm. there's there's a few more moving parts uh, on the video side um, that that are are rapidly changing. Mm -hmm. Do um, oh, what's the, the question I'm sort of grappling for? Um, <clears throat> some folks feel that. Uh, if you if your network's primary audience is uh, or are businesses, that the TV services are not as important as the internet services, and may in some cases be a distraction. 
Now, I know that when you when you start offering services to the consumer side of this equation, TV is, is, is definitely, you know, you almost have to have it. But when you're talking about businesses, is is the TV side a must-have too, or, or can you kind of, you know, or do they just primarily want Internet services and they're often on their merry way? Uh, I think there's a good mix on the business side. Cer- certainly you're correct on the residential side. There's a uh, demand for uh, video services. And uh, kind of as a side note, <clears throat> we've um, seen great growth on the data side um, where we are about even as far as uh, data and video subscribers. H- historically, we uh, lagged quite a bit behind on uh, data subscribers versus video, uh, but that's that's definitely been changing, um, and and we we see data surpassing video. Um, but for uh, business users, um, some definitely want the service. Uh, if you're a, a, a restaurant or a bar, you're, you're definitely interested in that service. Um, others, uh, yeah, they don't they don't need it. Uh, maybe they have it for a break room. Um, but it's not uh, not the focus. Uh, for for um, a lot of the heavy uh, data business users, uh, they're they're definitely after the um, the cost effective uh, access to our network, mm-hmm. and uh, also very interested in reliability. Um, we find a number of businesses today that um, that have multiple. Internet connections. We are one of of uh, two connections. They they may have uh, a completely different provider if they are looking for uh, complete provider redundancy. Sometimes they get uh, just two separate uh, connections from us. Um, mm-hmm. So it just depends on the the requirements of the business. But re- reliability is is a huge huge factor for our customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one customer in particular, um, they have a, a significant online presence, and if uh, their internet connection is down, they they are they're losing significant dollars every minute that that service is unavailable. So the the reliability factor is cannot be emphasized enough if you're dealing with the business side as as, as your primary customers. Definitely, and and that's increasing on the residential side as well. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, five five years ago, if uh, internet service was was down, maybe, maybe we certainly heard about it, but it wasn't as critical as as it is has become in the last uh, three or four years. Um, so we spent a, um, a lot of time um, building redundancy into our network, um, having automatic failover uh, where we can, and um, then we can isolate any problems and. Uh, Resolve them basically in production. Mm-hmm. So, so what you're basically saying is there is a there is a lesser tolerance of downtime. Do you think that's because a lot of people work from home, have home based businesses, or it's kind of an across the board trend? I, I think it's across the board, but I, I am actually surprised how many people are working from home these days. As we um, replaced our uh, hybrid fiber coax system over the last uh, two to three years and replaced it with a, a full uh, fiber to the home system, we've come across a number of people who um, work for companies that uh, are either out of town or, or, or even out of state. Uh, we've got a, a significant number of people who ha- are employed uh, um, by uh, companies that are that are out of state. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, is there any particular trend that you see with that? Like, should we expect that that everything is going to become more migratory? That you're that when you're selling to a home audience, you really can't assume that their employer is local. I mean, because what's been interesting here in, in Atoma is that for the most part, people here are working for local companies, but there is a fairly high percentage, maybe 40, 50 percent, that want to work. Uh, you know, for their employer from home, but not necessarily because their employer is out of town. It's just, you know, their employer is already here. They just want right. to work from home. Yeah, I, I think we're seeing, uh, we're definitely seeing that trend, uh, as well as the trend where uh, the employers is out of state. But certainly, more and more people are working a, a portion of their work week, um, even for a local employer um, from home. I know I've been at uh, CFU here for just over five years, and my previous job, I uh, I worked from home uh, four and a half days out of the week. Um, mm-hmm. I'd, half a day, I would uh, go into the office and um, you know have have the time there, but uh, primarily I was I was uh, working from home myself. So, mm-hmm. I I'm guessing that that's a uh... Uh, you know, a trend that will stay with us for a while. Do the folks that work from home tend to want uh, slower speed, or is everybody, you know, again, board wanting, you know, as much speed as they can get? That, that's an interesting point. Uh, they're definitely looking for uh, the higher speed, especially in the upload. Um, when we upgraded our tiers uh, in January, we went to a, a two-to-one ratio across the board. Mm-hmm. So uh, today we're delivering uh, our base home package is 16 megabits by uh, down by 8 megabits up. And we've received a, a lot of comments on the up speed, uh, particularly for remote workers where they might have a VPN connection um, or, or some remote connection back to the office where previously they definitely felt constrained, the service felt slow, um, and today it's it's definitely a, a much more responsive uh, service. Mm-hmm. Um, here, uh, you know, just as one example, I think um, Atumwa is probably smaller. Uh, you, you, what's what's your population there? Uh, Thirty thousand. Okay. In the national survey that I did uh, of economic development professionals, the 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 professionals working in the in rural areas, small towns and rural areas, didn't necessarily see um, the need for as high a speed as the economic development people from larger areas. And um, you know, and and I've done some stuff here in in, in a tumble that that sort of reinforces that thought. Is this you know, do you think again a situation where in smaller towns uh, they need uh, less speeds? You know, fifty, four, you know, forty megs might be sufficient. Uh, or or do you, are you seeing, you know, either because of cities like Chattanooga, an, an increase in this idea that well, we need to get a gig to our to our homes. Uh, I'm not sure why there'd be a, a relation to the size of community uh, compared to um, minimum speed requirements. Um, uh, 
I, I do know that as more people inside the home uh, or inside the business are, um, well, inside the home, for example, if, if you've got uh, an iPad, um, uh, maybe streaming Netflix, um, as, as you get more devices on the network at home, um, we have seen uh, people are demanding more uh, more of, of the network simultaneous. So um, if you've got three three Netflix streams happening at the same time, um, yeah, you're you're going to need more than a, a, a you know a five or eight meg connection. Mm-hmm. Interesting indeed. Interesting indeed. So um, you you're you're finishing it over uh, an enhancement of the network. Uh, there was a little bit of publicity, oh, I guess a couple of weeks ago that that you are. Uh, increasing speeds and keeping prices uh, the same. How does that happen? Well, um, we we knew that once we had the uh, fiber network built, um, capacity becomes uh, not a non-issue, but certainly a, a greatly reduced issue for us. Um, we we can deliver. Um, more and more or high, higher speeds to customers uh, without uh, changing out equipment um, and without risk of uh, saturating uh, any segment of our network, um, mm-hmm. segments that we anticipate will become uh, oversubscribed or saturated. We can uh, proactively upgrade those those links. Um, but as far as the, the access network to the home, uh, we've got uh, a large capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this kind of shifts the discussion a little bit. It's a question I actually had earlier, and I want to make sure I don't miss asking it. When you sell services to, to businesses, uh, and I bring this up because the first part of our conversation when, when Betty was online dealt a lot with economic development issues. So our audience today is probably very much thinking about and focused on uh, services to businesses because they are obviously a, you know a large part of the economic uh, development equation. When you sell services to the, to to um, businesses, are you just selling them the access, and then any other kinds of services they may need on the network they find from another provider, or do you service, or do you provide a whole range of business services along with the you know the pure access service? Uh, we we try to provide a range of services. Um, the the primary service we deliver though is is uh, just internet access. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if uh, they need to make a connection to uh, another um, entity or or business partner, that would be over that uh, internet network. Uh, another business service that we sell quite a bit of, uh, but not nearly as much, is point to point services. Uh, some people might call it uh, Metro Ethernet services, and mm-hmm. we will connect uh, two branches or two businesses uh, inside the city um, for a, a very reasonable uh, cost, uh, and basically that extends their network uh, across our, our infrastructure. Um, so the two uh, the two sites can operate as as one network essentially. Mm-hmm. Sort of like an intranet service? Uh, it would be a point-to-point Ethernet service. 
Right. Um, so it, yeah, it extends extends their um, their network across ours. So it's like a, uh, a uh, an extension of the intranet as as a service offering. And, and if I'm getting this right. Sure. Yep. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, because that's one of the questions, uh, not questions. One of the things I introduce into, you know, I got a bunch of people together, and you know, we're we're having a presentation about broadband and so forth. And you know, obviously, people talk a lot about you know accessing the internet, sending stuff over the public internet, so forth and so on. How um, important are intranet intranet services? And um, you know, if a city or a town created you know, a major intranet service to match the, you know, the external internet services, what kind of impact or what kind of usage do you expect or would expect an, a citywide intranet to attract? Uh, there's there's definitely interest in that. Um, and, uh, you know, for the, the city itself, we provide uh, service to all the buildings. Uh, we also connect all of the... Uh, schools in town, mm-hmm. um, so we we provide a, f- a fair number of these services, and then uh, for business customers, um, if if they need you know a hundred meg or a a one gig, or e- we we even deliver ten gig services to some businesses, um, we're, we're able to uh, provide that service, and the the customers that need it. Uh, are very very appreciative that that we can offer it. Um, again, it's it's uh, the majority of our service is just internet access. But when the business does need point to point services, um, it, there's a pretty pretty high demand for it. Mm-hmm. So, do you um, uh, I don't know do engage in a lot of research to try to stay ahead of these uh, these trends and developments or you know, is the town small enough and your subscriber base small enough that you can, you know, I don't know, have a more, I don't know, more leisurely approach to upgrading or, or what have you? What happens in that area? I guess that would be sort of like a new, you know, do you have new product development, you know, a new uh, or an aggressive new product development team or a person, you know, in addition to people who are just, you know, providing services that are currently popular? Yeah, we've got a couple of uh, avenues we take to get to, to get to the an- that answer internally we've got a, a communications team that meets uh on a regular basis mm-hmm. and uh Betty Betty is on that team and she's uh one of our great resources internally um but we we discuss uh new services that we think we will want to look into um currently a lot of our time has been f- uh, and, and energy has been focused on just getting through the the fiber project, but uh, we know there's more opportunities uh, for us to deliver new services, and so that team would re- review any potential and uh, make a business case uh, f- for any new potential service. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing we do is we have a, an external uh, t- uh, telecommunications uh, committee that provides us it, it's a cross section of uh uh leaders in uh, technology um we've got the University of Northern Iowa uh is represented as well as uh medical and consulting um uh entities and 
we meet with them and get their input on what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, um, and what new services uh, they see out uh, in their travels around the, the nation and, and, and the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what they're seeing out there that we sh- we should be thinking of that maybe we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the fastest service that you that that CFU offers currently? Uh, on the point to point service, it's uh, ten gig. Uh, though we can do uh, multiples of that if if needed. Um, uh, on the internet access side today, it's uh, two hundred by two hundred. And um, we're uh, exploring the option of uh, offering a full one gig service. Um, we're not uh, committed to that at this point, but we're we're definitely looking at uh, what it would take for us to uh, deliver a full one gig service uh, across our entire community. Uh huh. Now this actually will probably be our our last question. We've got about three minutes left. What's your thoughts? I mean, you're you're saying obviously that you are considering it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the the focus on a gigabit city? You know, the FCC chairman has called for gigabit cities, at least one per state. You've got organizations such as Gig.U, you know, they're just devoted to, um, <clears throat> you know, getting more communities to have a gig at the least, you know, in some cases more than that. What do you think about that? Is that, is that you know, should we be heavily focused on that? Is there, well, you tell me, what are your thoughts? Well, I think in our case, um, we uh, we're still exploring it, but we we hope it's relatively easy for us to to deliver the service since uh, we've uh, upgraded the network. Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, uh, what, why not offer the service? Um, what what we what we see uh, across the nation um, as far as the FCC's uh, request or or interest is, uh, I, I think it's uh, a matter of um, trying to encourage uh, technological advancement. Um, I think it's a way to encourage um, some networks that have been resistant to uh, doing upgrades to maybe encourage them. Uh, as, as more and more uh, networks are able to deliver one gig service, if you are still delivering uh, service uh, substantially less than that, you, you become... Uh, you look less and less attractive. Um, so I think that's their intent is to um, encourage the adoption and, and try to get uh, broadband widely, uh, high-speed broadband uh, widely adopted uh, across the whole uh, nation. Mm-hmm. So so basically with this latest round of upgrades, uh, if I'm understanding what you're saying, is that you have put yourself in a position to move to that next level without it being, uh, you know, another job of heavy lifting. Exactly, yes. Excellent. Well, I want to um, <clears throat> thank you for taking time to uh, to be with us, and it's good to, to, you know, to know your story. I mean, I've, I've read about you guys now for a while, and you've been around since 96, so clearly you're doing something right, or probably a lot of something's right, and, and that's good. <laughs> good. So... You know, I, I uh, you know, my hats off to you. I know that there are other communities, obviously, you know, that are that are working to, you know, to match that. And I hope that you guys continue to be a, you know, a good trendsetter and a good, um, you know, setter of of uh, benchmarks for other uh, communities to aspire to. So, you know, much continued success with that. And again, thanks a lot for being on the show. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and uh, hope it was uh, informative. Oh, most assuredly, most assuredly. Probably everyone in the tumble now is going to want to, you know, catch on to the show because there would be, you know, you've got Indianola and now you have uh, and you have uh, Cedar Falls. I would expect that, you know, Otumba will join a number of other Iowa cities getting on that that uh, fiber bandwagon. So I hope so. My audience, have a great day. Uh, we'll be back again soon. Uh, keep those questions cards coming, folks. We'll we'll talk again soon. Take care.